Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Good morning, church. How are we? <laughs> Yeah, I'm Rachel. If anybody doesn't know me, I am the leader of the women's ministry, and um, I'd like to bring you the word for today. So if everybody would like to stand for the word, it is Revelations 1 through 8, 1, 1 through 8. (laughs) Um, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will well on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Praise God. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this letter to these churches and to us. Lord, I pray as we open this up that we get a fresh glimpse of you. God, that we all stand in awe of who you are, King Jesus. That when we speak Jesus, we know exactly who you are and what you've done in our lives. God, we understand your power, your authority, and your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray today that people that had come in here with hard hearts, or damaged hearts, or hearts that have been ripped into would leave here today with whole, clean, and soft hearts because they have met you, the one we celebrate, the one we sing about, the one who set us free. We thank you, Jesus, and we just pray that you would open the ears to hear, the hearts to receive. Let me speak your words, God, unwavering in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 You may have a seat. So today we're starting a series in Revelation. Could be here for three or four years. We'll see how far it goes. Uh, I'm looking at this book, trying to break it down into bite-sized chunks, and you just can't. Uh, There's so much in it. Uh, It's going to be a great time in this. And how we're approaching this book, um, we're approaching it in a practical standpoint because it's very easy to take this letter to these churches and try to figure out all the key players and all the key people, and we guess this is it and that that's it. But really, as we dive into this book, as we dive into this letter, we will discover what it really is. Now, we, it is a revelation of things to come, but more than that, it's a revelation of who is, and this is Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of what he's done in our life. It's a revelation of what he's going to do in the future and the hope that we have as believers. And this letter was written to a people that needed some hope. And John himself maybe even needed the hope. That is the author or the pen, the one that penned it. Jesus is the author of Revelation. But John is the one that writes on behalf of Jesus 
to the churches. So Revelation really is like us looking through binoculars, trying to see what's going to come. And hopefully as we dive in, it'll be more like, I can see exactly who, wait, take my glasses off. There we go. Now I can see people. I can see exactly, make out all the ins and outs and delicate things that we don't normally see just skimming through the book or maybe watching uh, the Left Behind series or, <laughs> or, you know, reading some books that people authored. And really, Revelation isn't meant for all that. It's not made to make book, it's books out of and movies out of, which those things are fine and great. It's really a letter for the churches. As we read this, as this letter, it says to us to pay attention. And John is writing this to the churches to pay attention. And so a little historical background of this book. John is an old man. John the apostle, John the disciple, John the one who is self-proclaimed, the one who Jesus loved the most, if you read the Gospel of John. John is, is on this island of Patmos, and he's banished because uh, legend says he was just too tough to kill. The second uh, century historian and theologian Tertullian writes of John that he was boiled in oil, and he somehow miraculously escaped unscathed. Other details and other legends say that John was poisoned. And not only was he poisoned, but to make sure that the poison was toxic, they, they actually made some other people drink the poison before it got to John. Those people passed away. John drank the poison. John didn't die. In fact, the legend says that John gets up and he starts healing the people and raising them to dead that, was, that drank the poison. Now, do we know if those things are true, if those things are just legends? We don't know for sure. But what I do know is that John was one tough bird. And that John was a problem for the, the first century rulers of that time. The, the, the emperor, I'm going to make sure I say his name right. I have it written down. The emperor of that time was, where did I write his name down? Titus Flavius, yeah, I didn't stop memory. Titus Flavius Domitius, Domitianus, that's the right word. You know, I, I don't know who that is. I know who Caesar, I know who Augustus Caesar, all them people are, I know who Nero is. So this guy is right after Nero. Nero had burned down, uh, the, he'd taken Jerusalem and wiped out the temple. And so now this, this new emperor is up, but this, the message of the gospel is still going out. And, and John is causing problems. He's still preaching this Jesus, the same one that can save people and set them free, he's still doing miracles, still healing people. And so the only way to get rid of this John and to silence this message is to banish him to an island for prisoners. And so John is banished to this island, and on this island he writes this letter. What the emperor meant to stop the gospel actually propelled the gospel, because this letter that we're reading and this letter that we're studying has gone out for centuries, for a millennia and changed people's lives forever. And so the first thing I want to say is that anything that the enemy does to try and stop the gospel often propels the gospel. Like it doesn't matter what the enemy's doing. Like God always brings about good from it, and he always brings about more than we can think, hope, or imagine. This is the God we serve. This is, this is why this letter is so incredible. Like in the time of immense like sorrow, because John has lost all his companions. By that time, all the other disciples were either martyred or killed. And, and he's seen his brothers killed and martyred. And now he's sitting here all alone on this island. And yet Jesus himself comes and gives him this revelation. This book is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of things to come, even though in this book we do see things to come. But really, if we just take this book for that, we're missing the great beauty and the great richness of this letter. If we just narrow it down to this one little point about the, end, about the very end, we miss the beauty and the majesty of all that is in this letter. This letter is called the Revelation because it's, it's revealing things. The Greek word here is apocalypso. And you just learned some Greek. It's not very far from our, our word apocalypse. And when we think of apocalypse, what do we think of? The end of the world, burning buildings like fire, uh, floods, you know, all the things that, that go with it. But really, that word doesn't mean that at all. Apocalypso actually means that which was hidden is becoming visible. It's that which was unknown is becoming known. And so Jesus is giving this letter for, for the churches, and he's giving this letter to us so that we can see the things that were hidden, and now they're becoming visible. He's showing us a glimpse of the unseen world, 
but also what's happening in the seen world. And so that's how beautiful this lesson is. That's how beautiful this uh, story is for the people uh, that's going there. It reveals God's judgment. What does this thing reveal? It reveals God's judgment. It reveals God's justice. It reveals God's mercy. It reveals uh, the Holy Spirit. It reveals the Father. It reveals the Son. It reveals all that Jesus has done for us. It reveals the unholy trinity. It reveals the, the Antichrist, the beast, and Satan. It reveals all, it reveals these incredible creatures in heaven and the unseen world that Jesus, that God has created. It reveals so many other things, not just like when the world blows up, right? And God comes back. It's what's happening now. It's what's happening then. And it's what's going to happen in the future. And so as we open this book, I pray that you have that in mind, that, that we're not just talking about the end. We're talking about what God has done before, what he's doing now, and what he will always be doing and what he has planned in the future. So that gives us hope. And this, this, this letter was written so that these people would have hope. In verse 4 of this revelation, it says, John, the seven churches that are in grace. Or, sorry, I went back. In verse 3 of Revelation, it said, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are you who read aloud. So this was meant to be read aloud and, and, for, and for people to hear it. And then he goes, Blessed are those who hear. And blessed are those who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So this is why this letter was written. So people would read it, people would speak it, hear it, and do something with it. So Revelation, we have to do something with this book. We have to do something with this letter. And, and I pray that as we read this letter and as we dive deep into it, that we learn to apply it to our lives and get ready. Because as he says, the time is near. Well, it's been 2,000 years. How much nearer is it? It's a lot nearer. And this word near, it actually means at hand. We see this a lot in scripture when Jesus says, go forth, preach the gospel, tell them the kingdom is at hand. What does at hand mean? We don't really use that word anymore. But back in those days, they knew what it meant because they would stick their hand out and they would, it was like a depth of measurement. So if you're in a town, you're looking at an outpost, you're looking out and you're seeing if there's an evading army coming. And if the evading army is coming, you would hold out and see how far they were. It's like, oh, they're at hand's length. That means they're going to be here within a matter of days. I can just make an outline of the army. We better prepare because somebody's coming against us. And so this letter is written to the churches. Prepare because the end is coming. Jesus is coming back. And I'm revealing things that are come so you can be ready. But in while you're getting ready, have hope, have peace. Jesus is giving us peace here. Because even in this letter, John says to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him. Peace from Jesus. Now, these words that he's using, grace and peace to you, is a, is a very common greeting back in those days where we say hi or things. They say grace and peace. It's a common greeting. But really, if you look at this, this letter is, is to give us grace, to help us understand the grace that we have been given through Jesus Christ and peace that Jesus wants to give to us. And it's written to the churches, but it's also for us. And the, and the proper way to, to understand any kind of scripture that we read, or if you do any kind of Bible study, it's always with this in mind, that everything that was written in this book was to those people at that time. But it's for us at this time. And so when you look at it, you have to understand the historical context. you got to understand the cultural context of what's going on. Because these people in the first century, the visions and the imagery, they would understand it a whole lot better, better than we do. And so we have to look at it that as well. So I pray that you do that as we move forward. But this introduction that, that, that uh, John makes here as he's writing this letter, he's revealing who authored the book. Who authored the book? It was Jesus. Because he says right here, greetings from you who, is, who was, who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings of earth. And so John is saying, I'm just right, I'm just pinning this down, but God himself is giving this to you. And not just, not just Jesus, but all of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who was, who is, and who is to come. He's talking about the Father, and then you have the seven spirits, that's the Holy Spirit, and then you have Jesus Christ. So all of God is giving this letter to all of us. And that gives me peace because I know that this letter is with the highest authority. 
It didn't come through anyone else. It didn't come through any other messenger. It came straight from God to his churches through Jesus Christ, penned by John, the one who Jesus loved. So I can have peace. And I pray that today you have the peace that only Jesus can give you because he is the highest authority above all things. And I want to teach you a little bit about the Trinity this morning before we get dive deep into it, because it's just right here. I can't pass it up. And so what is the Trinity? You're, you will not see the Trinity anywhere in Scripture. You're not going to see the word Trinity anywhere in there. But in there, there is this Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in there, you're going to see lots and lots of times where they're all present at the same time. They're all mentioned at the same time, but they're also known to be equal. It's the great mystery, right? You really can't explain the Trinity. We've had lots to, a lot of people trying to explain the Godhead in imagery, but really it doesn't do any justice. And, and so for us, we need to look at the Godhead and say, I don't understand how it works, but I know it's there. Like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all equal. They are all God, and they all serve, and they all created all things. So this is the Godhead. I want to give you a couple passages about the Godhead. And I'm way ahead of notes, so you should be good because I went way over last service. All right, here we go. Yeah, 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 it's good. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 4, 6 says this about, he's talking to the Ephesian church, the, the oneness and the unity of God and the unity of the church. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to our, your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So he's saying that God is in all things, through all things. God is present. And also, and we also read in John 5, 18, Jesus actually equating himself with the Father. And so in verse 18 of 5, chapter 5, John 5, 18 to 23, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So when Jesus said, I'm the son of God, he was actually saying, I'm equal with the father. And, and for that time and that period, even still today, if somebody comes and says, I'm equal with the father, I'm equal with God. Like, what? That's crazy. That's blasphemy. Same for these people. This is why they were so angry with Jesus. And then on verse 19, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So if you don't honor Jesus, you're not honoring God. You're not honoring the father. And so this, this proves that they are, in fact, one. Like they are both worshipped as one. Great mystery. Don't have time to go into it, but just something to study. I'm going to give you another, uh, a couple verses as well to maybe write down and take home and study. These are verses for further study, which I just kind of opened up, Matthew, John 5, 18 to you. But Matthew 3, 13 through 17 talks about this trinity that is seen when Jesus gets baptized says he goes down, John the Baptist baptizes him. What happens? The heavens open up, the spirit ascends on like a dove onto Jesus, and then the father speaks. This is my son who I'm well pleased. I don't know why everybody sounds like when God said, he probably doesn't sound like that, but this is what we think. And, and so we, we, we see the Trinity present. We see the Godhead present in that moment. And all through scripture, it's all in there. You just, you, you just got to look hard enough. It's there. It's not hard to find. And so we see that this highest authority, God, the whole Godhead, is actually writing to the churches and telling him, don't be afraid of what I'm about to tell you. Take it to heart, do something with it, and have peace because I am with you. And so Jesus is, that, is, is the one that's writing to this, and it says that he is actually the faithful witness. There's a reason why Jesus is explained a little deeper in this letter when it says, and this is from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings. Why are these titles added to Jesus on to this letter? Because Jesus is trying to get something across. Hey, just in, just in case you forgot who I am, this is who I am. Like, I am a faithful witness. I am the firstborn of the dead. I am the ruler of kings of earth. So what I say to you, you need to pay attention. 
And so he's writing them saying that I am a faithful witness. What does that mean, a faithful witness? It means you can trust exactly what he says. You know, in this world, it is getting harder and harder to find the truth. I can watch the news. It's the same story, but it's spoken over like 15 different ways. And there's always some kind of bent and some kind of motivation behind it to try to get you to believe something or do something. And in this day and age, truth is getting harder and harder to find. And we have this idea today that my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth and it's all truth. Well, there is only one truth, and that's Jesus Christ. And so where do we go when we have a world full of deceit, a world that doesn't understand what truth truly is? Where do we go in times of uncertainty? Jesus is telling you, there's going to be a time, the things I'm going to reveal to you in this letter, there's going to be deceit, there's going to be untruth, there's going to be falsehoods all around you. You're going to be sucked into them, but don't get sucked in because I am the one who is the faithful witness. You can trust the source because his news is good news and it's not influenced by any man. He is the one that's writing to the churches. And so for me and for you, believer, when everything and everyone is full of deceit, you can trust that Jesus is the truth. Jesus talks about the truth in John chapter 18, verse 33 through 38. He says this, he's, he's talking to Pilate. He's about to get put on the cross. He's, a, he's on trial here. The people are trying to crucify him. And, and Pilate doesn't understand why. And so he's having this conversation with Jesus. So Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Like this is what these people are accusing you of. And Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If it, my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king, but for this purpose, listen, church, this is why Jesus came. He healed. He did miracles. He did all those wonderful things. But this is why he came. And this is why he did healings and miracles and all these things. And this is why he still does them. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. He is a faithful witness. This is why he came. This is, this is why Jesus was here. This is why this was his message. And he goes on to say, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. If you want to hear truth, you listen to his voice. And Pilate said to him, just like everybody else in this world right now, what is truth? I can't find the truth. Is this really the truth? And after this, he said, I find no guilt in him. And of course, we know the story. So we have this world that needs truth, and Jesus is that truth. And, 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 and as things get worse and as things progress and as, as, as we approach the things that are written into this, in this letter, we need to understand where we can go when we can't find the truth. The truth is Jesus. He is the, the faithful witness. We can trust everything that is written in this Bible. Everything. It's truthful. Uh, for your own reading, John 12, 49 talks about Jesus and his own authority. Uh, and not, he's not speaking on his own authority, but through the Father as well, that he is the truth. Then we also see that Jesus uses this other title. I'm a faithful witness, but I'm also the firstborn of the dead. Now, let me open this up to you. Like, what on earth is the firstborn of the dead? Basically, he's saying, I am the first one to be resurrected out of many. There's a lot more in this. I don't have time to go into it. We'll dive into it deeper as we dive into Revelation. But but he's saying, I'm the firstborn of all of the dead. So he's saying, uh, we, we, I have been resurrected, and because I've been resurrected, the church will be resurrected, the people of God will be resurrected. I am the first fruits, the first to rise from the dead, the firstborn of the dead. And so for me and for you, and, and as believers, we can have peace knowing that Jesus has overcome death, and we will also through him. We don't have to worry about the future. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen. We know that there is a better day coming and there's a resurrection of the dead coming and that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel. And so many people look at Jesus and the resurrection and say, that's impossible. That couldn't happen. There's no way that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why it's called a miracle, number one. But the other thing is, is, is that if, if, the, if, the, if the resurrection never happened, 
then our faith is false. I remember having a conversation with a, with a friend at work, and he was saying, what if they found Jesus' body? Would you denounce Christianity? I told him, yeah. He's like, well, what about all the miracles and all that? It's like, well, it doesn't matter if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Because then he, it would all be a lie. If they found Jesus' body, then the resurrection is a lie. And now when we believe is a lie as believers, then, then we have no hope for the future. We have no hope for the resurrection. And Paul puts it so beautifully here to the first Corinthian church, to the, for the Corinthian church. He writes his first letter to them in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 22. He's talking about those who refute the resurrection. And he says this, and it's something to take for heart, to heart. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people must be pitied. If we have no hope in the future, we should be pitied among all. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, by a man has also come into the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam we all die, but in Christ we shall be made alive. Adam was, the, Adam was the first, right? He was the first of mankind, and he fell. And so Jesus came, he made it right, and now he is the new Adam. He is the one that sets us free. He is the one that, that, that was raised from the dead, and now we have hope to be raised from the dead. There is a, an actual resurrection coming. And, and so we have hope in that. We have joy in that. We can have peace in that, that no matter what happens, kill this body. It doesn't matter. I'm getting a new body. Kill this body, it doesn't matter. Like, take me out. Like, John, all your friends, all your, all your apostle buddies, all your disciples, they've all been martyred. But you know what? They're going to be resurrected. They have a hope. It doesn't matter what happens. We can have hope and, and peace. When all these tribulations and all these things happen in Revelation, we can have peace because Jesus is going to resurrect these bodies, and they're going to be better bodies. That's amazing. Yeah, cake all day, right? Don't matter. You'll be better bodies. And then he goes on. He goes, he's the firstborn of the dead. And he goes on to say that he is the ruler of all the earth, the ruler of all. Jesus is high above all things. And as we dive deep into this book, as we dive deep into this letter, I pray that, that Jesus is exalted a little bit in your life. Like you see him high and lifted up on his throne above all things, above all your issues, all your problems, above everything that's going wrong in this life and everything that's wrong in this world, that you see that Jesus is still on the throne. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how gloomy it may appear, no matter what the diagnosis is, that Jesus is still on his throne. He cannot be removed. He cannot be diminished. And I pray that we keep our eyes fixed closely to him. And, and this is really what's been happening to me while just reading these short eight verses of revelation. I have a fresh view of Jesus because he is all these things and even more. And so he's reminding us that he is the ruler of all. I love Philippians 2, 5 through 11. The writer of Philippians is telling the church, be like Jesus, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through, who though he was in the form of God, Okay, here's the Trinity again. Here's the Godhead. Did not, equally, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped or used to his advantage, but emptied himself, emptied his divinity to come here on earth by taking the form of a servant, a man, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This is all. This is on, in heaven, all the celestials, 
all, all that's unseen, the earth, all that is seen, and all that's under the earth. This is the mnemonic, all that stuff. It's, it all bows at Jesus because he is all above it all. And so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be a day when every tongue confesses that he is Lord. Some will confess he is Lord because they believe in him and they love him and they're with him. Some will confess that he is Lord because they know that they should have. And then it's too late. But every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You can't hide it. Every name, must, everything must bow to the name of Jesus. I say this often. If it has a name, it has to bow. I don't know what you're dealing with today, but if it has a name, it has to bow. Sickness, it has to bow. doesn't matter what's going on. Look, some of you may be having some really bad marital problems right now. And turn it to Jesus. All that has to bow at the name of Jesus. He can heal all things. He's done it in my life. He'll do it in yours. But you just have to turn it over to the king. And you have to say, I don't want to be Lord of this anymore. Because when you're Lord of stuff, it never ends well. I've tried. When I hand it over to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is yours. These are, these are your children. This is your marriage. This is your church. These are your people. This is your problem. Lord, this is your circus, right? Not my monkeys, not my circus. These are yours. I'm just here. Let me be faithful. This is yours, Lord. Take it. Rule it. Make it submit to you. And he will. This is, this, is, this is the whole, man. This gives me peace because I know that he's got, he's got it all under control when I don't. And so he's writing to this church saying, things are going to get crazy. Things are going to get weird, but I'm still in control. When you think it's not in control, I'm still in control. Look, turn on the news. You see what's going on around the world. God's still in control. It's not taking him by surprise. He's still ruling. He still has it all together. I want to read a deep passage to you. Maybe go home and read this and study it. It's Hebrews 1, 1 through 13. I don't think we have the full passage, but I'm going to read it. You can believe what I'm saying, all right? But go home and read it because it beautifully puts together what, God, what Jesus just said about himself in this passage. He's faithful. He's a faithful witness. He's firstborn of the dead, and he's king of all. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to actually believer Jews. And he's telling them about Jesus and all that's happened. So he's giving them a brief history lesson. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 1, verse 1 through 13, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, faithful witness, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is equality with the Father. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand, majesty on high, having become as such a much power, superior to angels as the name he has inherited is far more excellent than theirs. So what the, the writer of Hebrews is about to go into, he's debunking the fact, or he's debunking the lie that Jesus was an angel. There's a lot of faith practices and a lot of things out there that, that say Jesus was an angel or he was a created being. Jesus was not a created being. Jesus isn't an angel. He is higher than angels. He is, in fact, part of the Godhead, and he is God. And so to diminish him to an angel would diminish his work on the cross, meaning there's another higher power at work that then if Jesus was an angel, that could undo it all. But Jesus being God, the highest authority and the highest power, it cannot be undone by anything. And so to say that Jesus was an angel is false, and it's, it's, it's a not good doctrine. And he goes on to make this case. He says, uh, for which of the angels, so he's, he's kind of saying, so which of the angels did God say, you're my son? None. Today I've begotten you? None. And so he goes, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Again. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Angels do not worship angels. Angels only worship God. Or the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, so he's, he's 
Again, separating angels from the, from the Son. Your throne, O God, hmm, funny you would call him that, is forever and ever. The scepter of our rightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and by your years will have no end. And to which the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand. He hasn't. Only to the sun, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This ties it all together. That Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, equal with the Father, their creation. I love how John puts it in his gospel. And as soon as he opens the words, he goes, the word was with God. The word was God. The word was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. He's talking about Jesus, that he was with the Father in the beginning. They co-created the world. They co-created the universe. They co-created even angels. He is higher than all of those. And he is above all things. And so we can have peace that we serve the highest authority on heaven and earth and under the earth, and that every knee must bow. And then he goes to remind the church after telling them, hey, you remember who I am? Don't worry when these things happen, but I've also done things for you. Make sure you remember these things when these things happen. And so what has Jesus done for you? He says this, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to, to his God and Father to be him glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. He's saying, this is what I've done for you. I freed you with the blood. I freed you with my blood. Jesus paid a high price for you. He's reminding the church in this moment that you have been saved and you've been redeemed and you are free. Now stay that way. Because the things that are about to be revealed and the things that are being revealed even today, even in that time, the first century church, there was, there was, Things trying to take that redemption away from them. There's things that were trying to pull them away from Jesus and pull them away from what Jesus has done for them. And so, and so God is, is reminding us, and Jesus is reminding us of what he's done for us. And when those hard times come in our life, when things are on shaky ground and we're not sure what's going on, we can hold fast to the salvation of Jesus Christ in our life. I love John 3, 16, very familiar passage. We all know it. I'm going to read 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loved you. He loves us. And then he frees us. For whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son in order that the world might be saved through him. Beautiful passage. We all know it. We all love it. But this is what Jesus did. He came to save us. He came to set us free. Don't be caught up. Don't return and, and be a slave. You are free and you are right with the Father. Don't settle for lesser things. I love Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The only way we're saved and the only way that, that we are redeemed is through Jesus Christ and his grace. It's nothing we do. All we have to do is receive it. He did all the work, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You know the song, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. You can't earn your way to God. I don't care how good you think you are. You can't earn your way to God. The standard is not me. The standard is not the person next to me. The standard is God. When you meet his standards, then maybe he'll let you in. You can't. Jesus paid for our way in. He paid for our redemption. And we, yeah, I talk to people. It's like, well, how do you, how do you, do you think you're going to get to heaven? And they tell me, yes. I was like, why? Well, I'm a good person. Well, compared to who? Compared to the worst person in the prison system? Compared to your neighbor? Compared to your parents? It, it, you're not good enough. And you can never be good enough. This is why the law was given. To show us that we can't be good enough and that we need a Savior. We need Jesus to come set us free. Because we got our, like Adam got us into this mess. 
Thank you, Adam, right? Thank you, Eve. But Jesus came to get us out of it. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's why it's such good news. Like you don't have to do anything. All you gotta do is accept it and say, Jesus, I accept you as my li- in my life. You are my Lord and my Savior. I confess it with my mouth, but I also believe it deep within my heart and it cannot be shaken. And so he's given us this fresh life. He's given us freedom. Don't waste it. Because there are things that will come at you and try to tie you up, but remember all that Jesus has done for you. And this is the letter he's writing. Then he goes on to say that he, he not only redeems you, but he gives you purpose. He gives you purpose. I love this. We're all looking for purpose. Like, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Well, when you're saved and you accept Jesus, here's your purpose. You become a priest. What does that mean? Do I got to like wear a robe and a pointy hat? No. It means you go and proclaim what Jesus has done for you. Here's what I love anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus heals somebody or touches their lives. He immediately sends them out. And what's he tell them? Go teach them doctrine. Go teach them all this stuff. No, he says, go tell them what I've done for you. There's no greater story than this when Jesus crosses over the Sea of Galilee into the Gentile area and he frees this man that had a legion of demons in him. He, he frees this man, the legion leaves, goes into pigs, falls over into the sea. We know the story. And then immediately this man who was insane, naked, biting everybody, like super strong because the demon's in him, all of a sudden he comes to his senses, he's closed, and he tells Jesus, Jesus, you've done all this for me. Let me follow you. Let me go with you. And Jesus denies that. He says, no, I want you to go to your town, go to the people that know you, go to the people that tied you up in chains and tell them what I've done for you. Immediately, he didn't say, hey, come study with me for four years. Come figure out all the doctrinal truths. Come, come sharpen your eschatology, which is the study of the end things. Like, come sharpen all that, and then you can go and be my witnesses. No, immediately. No training, nothing. Go just, all you got to do is share what I've done in your life. We see this over and over in the gospel, and I'm telling you, if God has done something in your life, all you got to do is share it. It's not, up to, it's not up to you. It's up to them to receive it. And if they don't receive it, it's not your fault. You just got to give it to them. You just have to tell them, man, this is what Jesus has done in my life. He can do it in your life. He set me free, saved me, gave me grace, and he gave me purpose, and I'm going to be a priest, and I'm going to proclaim your goodness to the world around me. 1 Peter 2.9 reminds us of this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of who who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm telling you, when before Jesus found me, I was in darkness. But when he, sent, he found me and he saved me, I was brought into his marvelous light. I now see things like I've never seen them before. Because I see them through the lens of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, once you were not his people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's made you priests. Man, Wednesday was beautiful up here. Oh, my goodness, it was amazing. And we had the kids come up and pray for healing for people. And I've gotten lots of stories of people being healed. And while they were up here, they were praying for people to be healed and praying for people and ministering to them. They were being priests in that moment. They weren't trained. We didn't put them through college or anything like that. They just simply were being obedient to the Word of God. And things happened. And so don't think that you have to have it all figured out to do something for Jesus. There's something about simple faith and your simple testimony that's more powerful than any theologian or any doctor or anything like that or any some guy up here trying to break down revelation. Your your simple testimony is the most powerful thing that you have because it cannot be argued. This is what Jesus does. And so you need to remember your purpose when hard times come, he's telling these people, look, these tribulations are coming. These hard times are coming. These things are going to happen to you. Don't worry. You still have a purpose in it. Like you are still my witnesses. Be a witness. When people are asking, why are all these bad things happening? Be a witness. Be a witness. Because the time is short. Because he is coming back. Because Jesus says this, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of earth, all the nations of earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. 
So he's saying here that Jesus is coming back in the clouds. Where does this coming back in the clouds come from? We see this in the book of Daniel. Daniel has a lot of uh, apocalyptic uh, imagery in it. And so we'll be in Daniel a lot too in this Revelation study. But Daniel 7, God gives Daniel a vision of Jesus. And here it is, I saw in the night vision, 7, 13 through 14. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Daniel is seeing this resurrected Christ and what's going to come, like every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. And then we also, we read in 2 Peter as well about this. Now it's been 2,000 years. Where is Jesus? If he's coming on the why is he come back yet? Because there's days I wake up, guys, and I'm like, Jesus, you can come back today. Right? Because I got this I got to do. I got this I got to do. You know, I don't feel good. You know, three weeks ago, I had the flu, and I was like, Jesus, just take me now. Right? Because it was bad. I'm like, God, you can come back. Please come back. You turn on the news. Please come back. Why hasn't he come back yet? And for the first century church, they believed, like, deep in their heart that Jesus was going to come back in their time. And because of that, they lived their lives as such. They understood that Jesus could come at any time. It could be here. It could be tomorrow. It could be 10 years from now. It could be 100 years from now. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but the promise is, is that he is coming back. Peter writes a letter, and he tells the people about this. He's like, people are mocking us thinking that Jesus isn't coming back, but I'm going to tell you the truth. And here it is, 2 Peter 3, 4 through 10. They say, these are mockers. This is society. These are people on your Twitter. We don't have Twitter anymore. It's X, right? The X. These are people on your Facebook and your Instagram. Where's this Jesus? This is Peter, his rebuttal. Where's the promise of this coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perish. He's talking about the days of Noah. Like the earth was formed. It became wicked and corrupt. God wiped it out with a flood. He's saying, okay, God's a ju- God's, that judges. God judges. And he goes on, he's going to say, but by the same word, through a word, this happened. The heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. So he's writing to people who know Jesus, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. He's saying Jesus is in no hurry. And here's why. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If the Lord is tarrying and he hasn't come back yet, it's because he's waiting for all to come to him. He's giving you another chance. Every day is another chance to come to him. Every day is another opportunity for someone to come to faith. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't come back before I said yes to him. Yes. And so I see his slowness as, as really grace. Like I, I'm waiting for everybody that wants to to come to me. And I'm waiting for this person. And one day that last person will. And Jesus will come back. He will get off his throne and he will come ascending through the clouds, descending in the clouds, and we will meet him up in the air. This tells me that our time is short and we need to tell people about Jesus. If they accept it or not, that's on them. But if we tell them or not, that's on us. And so we need to warn people. And not that you're going to burn, but that Jesus wants to give you life. Yes, there is judgment to come. But Jesus, the same Jesus that saved me and set me free and gave me life, changed my marriage, changed my life, gave me purpose, can give you the same thing. Because this is the power of Jesus. And when Jesus returns, it's going to be beautiful for us. It's going to be grace. It's going to be peace. We're going we're to be so glad to see him. We're going to be like, come on, let's go. But for those who don't know him, it will be wailing and sadness because they missed their opportunity. Second Peter 3, 4 through 10, there's another passage you can read about Jesus talking about coming in the clouds. Jesus is coming back. He is our blessed hope. 
And I have hope because of that. Because my Lord will save me and he will bring about justice. Titus 2.11 talks about our blessed hope. 2.11 through 14, maybe write that down. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and world possessions or worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself us up to redeem us from the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus is coming back for you. Are you ready? Because he is the Alpha and the Omega. It says here at the closing of this introduction. What is that? Well, the Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. And then also the Omega is the last. So he's the first and the last. The beginning and the end. He was there in the beginning. He will be there in the end. And he's there all in between. So he's reminding this church. He's reminding these churches. He's reminding John that I've been there the whole time. I'm not going anywhere and I have a plan for you. And he's telling us today, because this is for us, that he's been here the whole time. He's been here now. He sees what you're going through. But yes, he also has a purpose for you in the future and a purpose for us. This letter, this introduction, this prologue is such a beautiful, condensed message of the whole book of Revelation. It talks of God's goodness. It talks of God's justice. It talks of all these things. But more than that, it elevates Jesus to the place where he needs to be in our hearts. And I pray that he has elevated in the highest place in your heart as well. Because he is coming back to destroy the works of Satan. He's coming back to bring judgment on the earth, to show his power and dominion over it all. But he's also coming back to reestablish his kingdom on earth in the way it was supposed to be before the fall. And I think it's fitting that we close this message today with communion. Because what a wonderful way to remember what Christ has done for us. When we take communion, it's that. It's reminding ourselves all that Jesus has done, all that he's doing now, and all that he will do. So when we come to the Lord's table, which is communion, it's reminding that we are all in this together. Christ has called us apart, and that Christ is saving us and bringing us to new life. And so while they pass that out, I want to read this passage to you. It's Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It ties in this whole epilogue, this whole prologue of one through eight. It says, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. When we take communion, remembering that Jesus is the head of the church. It's not Pastor Neil. It's not the elders that serve that, that, are, that are over me. It's not any of that. Jesus is the head of the church. He holds it all together. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What a beautiful thing. So as you get your communion, would you stand? We're going to take a pause before we take that step. And I want you to check your heart. Because often we take communion without thinking about the implications of it. We take it and just think we're just taking juice and bread. But what we're really taking is a promise. It's a promise of what Christ has done in our life. But it's a promise of what he's going to do for us and in us. As we break the bread together, it's a reminder that his body was broken for us. 
that he paid a high price for us, that by his stripes we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. That he has paid for our transgressions and our iniquities were laid upon him. He has taken it all. And so I've seen it, and I know that Jesus still does it, and he can do it today. That as we take this bread, here's what we do around here. We pray for those that are sick. We pray for those that, are, that need healing, that they would be healed, because Jesus is still the healer. And as we take the cup together, we, we take the cup, and we remember the blood that was spilt for us, the blood that, that Jesus bled for us, that his blood covered all of our sins. His blood removed our sins. Thank you, sir. It's a high price for your salvation. He paid the highest price. And every drop he bled, he thought of you. And I pray that today you accept that gift. And the cup that was poured out for you is the cup of the new covenant, meaning there's a new agreement between you and God. The old agreement was like, if I can do all you want me to do, God, then I'll be right with you. But we saw how that worked out. So God gave us a new one, a better one, through Jesus Christ. He says, all you have to do is accept what I've done for you. I've done all the work. You just have to accept the benefits. And that's where we get tripped up. Because I don't understand that. But I know that as soon as I surrendered my life to Jesus, it changed as soon as I said, Lord, you are my savior, you are my healer, I'm, I'm surrendering completely every part of my life I'm surrendering to you. That's when everything about me started changing. It's in the surrender. Jesus had to surrender all of it for your good. And so maybe today you need to surrender to him. So I want you to bow your heads. We're going to pray. And then I'm going to have someone come and share a testimony before we take this together. Father, I pray that right now we check our hearts, that as we take this together, we remember all that you've done for us. <laughs> that we can visualize that night with the disciples, him pouring the bread, I mean, him pouring the juice, the wine, him breaking the bread, him handing it to his disciples and telling them, this is my body that was going to be broken for you take and eat. It's him handing the cup. He's saying, this is the cup of the new covenant. Drink this. And Lord, I pray that all of us do the same today. That we take in all of you because you took in all of us. Thank you, Lord. So I'm going to have Mike come share a quick testimony about healing before we pray for healing. First of all, this is the third time I've told this story today, so it's somewhat lost its freshness and spontaneity, but mm -hmm. I'm going to relay it one more time out of obedience because, as he told you, God commands us to tell people what he's done for us, so you get to hear it again, some of you. This is a story of healing. Uh, on November 13th of last year, I was sitting in a deer stand in the middle of nowhere, and I had to summon help from far away to come help me because I couldn't walk on this leg. This ankle was so bad I couldn't walk back out of where I was camped. And when I got back on December 5th, I went to the doctors and they did x-rays and MRIs and it revealed that there were three torn ligaments and that there was zero cartilage left in my ankle. And the bones were grinding one on the other, which was causing me all the pain and preventing me from walking. So I went into a walking boot, heavy pain medications, and I was walking around like, like an old man with a cane here for the last three or four months and was scheduled this coming Friday to go in and have the surgery scheduled to do either an ankle replacement or an ankle fusion. They said it's got to be one or the other because ankles don't grow back. Well, about two weeks ago, the worship team prayed for me specifically for the upcoming surgery on my ankle. And a couple of the youth, they're in the house today, 
took me aside and prayed as well. And I can tell you today, uh, in the last two weeks, I have not worn a brace. I have not had to ice it one time when I was icing it three times a day just to be able to walk. I have taken no heavy pain medications for the last two weeks. And as I stand here right now, it is 100% pain-free. But occasionally I do feel a tweak in it, and I think that's intentional. I think God left that as a reminder. Occasionally he's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, don't forget, don't forget what I did for you. And if there's somebody that needs to hear that, you need to be looking out for them. Okay? So I'm just thankful that he loved me enough to do that. And I'll leave you with the fact that when I called the surgeon yesterday to tell them I would not be coming in next Friday to plan the surgery, they said, what happened? And I told them, God healed my ankle, and it got real quiet on the other end of the phone. I said, have a nice day. Love it. That's awesome. Look, my God's a healer. He still heals. And the fact is, he didn't have to do that for him. Because his, his, his eternity is secure, you know. But he loved him enough to heal him. And he loves you enough to heal you today. So if you need healing today, I'm just going to have some faith that he still heals. So we'll take this together. Then after we take this, I'm going to pray. And then... I'm like, we're going to have the altar team up front here probably, and so they may be in the back as well. And if you need prayer for anything, maybe you just need to know this Jesus that I've been talking about. You came in here like, wow, these people are all crazy and wild. Why are they singing so loud? Like, what's going on in here? It's because we believe what's written, and we believe in Jesus. And we can't help but get excited. We have hope, and we have peace. And so I'm going to invite you to come talk to them after service. And they'll take as long as it takes. All right? So let's hold our bread and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for us on the cross. That he was beaten, he was whipped, he was spit on, he was punched, he was rejected. He was all the things that we did to you, Lord. All the things we did to you, Father. He took those upon himself. All the sickness, all the illness, all the disease, all the mental issues, all the things that sin brought into this world, Jesus took upon himself. He took it so we don't have to. And so, Lord, we thank you for the stripes that were, that were put on Jesus's body. We thank you that he, he bore all our sins, all our diseases, all our iniquities, and that we can come to you for healing. Jesus, as you healed those, as you walk this earth, you still heal those because you're above it all. And Lord, we pray right now, Lord, that as we take this, that not only are we healed, but we remember that you are the one that sustains us, nothing else. Not any food on this earth, not anything on this earth, but Lord, without you, we perish. And so, Lord, we take this bread that you say command and eat, and we eat it now. So let's break it. Uh, hold our cups and pray. Jesus, we thank you for this cup that you give us to drink. It's the new covenant that says, by your grace, that we are righteous, that we are right with God, and we can have a relationship with the Father. That through your body, through your blood, we have access directly to the Father. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through any one man or anything. We can come straight to the Father because you have made us clean and righteous by your blood. And so, Lord, right now we pray for those who do not know you, Lord. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Lord, I know who I'm praying for, and you see them, and I know you're bringing them home, God. That they're turning to you, and they're opening their arms, and they're running straight headlong into your loving arms, God. And they're dragging people with them because you are so good. You didn't let up on me, God. Don't let up on them. And so, Father, I pray for those people that do not know you today, that they would know the beauty of your grace and your mercy and your love, and, God, that you would change your lives forever.
and that you would give them hope and that they would accept this work that you've done for them on the cross. And so, Father, as we take this cup, we not only look back to what you've done for us, but we look forward to the day we will sit at your beautiful table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, and we will look upon your face and see you and know you in a way we've never known you before. We thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name, let's take the cup. So I'm going to pray, and the altar team is going to come up. Father, I thank you for this beautiful message. I thank you for this letter to the churches. I thank you, Lord, that you give us peace. And I thank you, Lord, for who you are. That Jesus, you did what no angel could do. You did what no created thing could do. You gave up your divinity, came to earth in the form of a man, and you died for us. You did what we could not do so we can have a relationship with the Father, and you restored all things to you. And so, Father, I pray today that if those that are in here today, Lord, that you would heal their bodies, heal their minds, heal their spirits. But, Lord, if there's anyone in here that needs to know you and have not given their life to you, Lord, that they would do that today, that they would come up and get prayer, come up and speak to these ministry team members. Lord, if anybody needs anything at all, I pray that you would meet them as they walk up. So, Holy Spirit, draw everyone up that needs prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.